um, I think it's really good that we have an older crowd. I can make 80s references and no one is confused about what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> right? I can say something like, what you talking about, Willis? And people don't have to look around, who's Willis? <laughs> Why is he talking about this, right? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's really good that I can make 80s references. Um, as much as we have progressed, there is a drawback to living in this awesome technological age, right? I think smartphones are just really putting a lot of stress on us, especially when students email you their papers a week after the class has ended and said, can you still please pass me, right? And the answer is, I'll think about it. Right. It's amazing because when I ask uh, the bio professors or the math professors, do students come up to you and pour out their problems to you? <laughs> they go, no. <laughs> but they seem to do it to me for some reason, uh, maybe because they take Bible class with me, right? And I tell them, you know, this is going to be an academic class. This is a Bible study we learned at church. This is not. This is. Uh, it still doesn't work. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Let's turn to First Thessalonians chapter one, uh, verses one through ten. Okay. What is this noise? Oh, give me a headache. Oh, good. All right. Success. Praise the Lord. All right. First Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 10. As we were looking the past couple of days before, you know, we have to understand that when we read the Bible, we have to understand that the central actor of every passage of Scripture, whether God is mentioned or not, right? The central actor of Scripture is always God. Before we even Paul's characters like, that scripture is pointing to is always going to be So God is always the central actor, and when you're reading about scripture and thinking, I wonder what I learned about this passage today, then get that? Amen? So as we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 to 10, let's take a look at how the Lord, right, in Jesus, how he has worked in the life of these Thessalonians. And then from there, we're going to talk about how God is working at San Jose Stall. Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Verse 2. We, give, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by 
by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Reception you gave us. They tell how you took idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. To your word, I pray that you will teach us about Jesus and about how he's coming. What belongs to you, O Lord? Claim a people and make it your own. The marks of a healthy church and come from verses. Uh, two, three, and four, mostly from verses two and three. What are the three marks of a healthy church? Well, what I'm going to do in this first point is I'm going to give you a little background. That's not what it uh, The second point I'm going to concentrate And number two, endurance inspired by hope. It's not just endurance, and it's not just hope. They're not two disconnected ideas, but when you connect those ideas together, you get a very rich theology. It's endurance inspired by hope. You guys ready? Amen? I'm ready, I think. (laughs) I like this message. So what's going on in the church of Thessalonica? Paul is a Where are Are they still around? Collapsing. Well, I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Acts. And we're just going to read just a, a couple of verses, or maybe more than a couple of verses, about how the church in Thessalonica came to be born. Like it was born, right? What Paul did, he planted church. Then we understand First Thessalonians chapter one about why Paul is writing this letter after he gets a report from Timothy, right? This is why I love Acts. I can go on and on without giving. 
because I get to see if they understand. In the church or even in the classroom, that's not true. You see if they understood it. So the Acts chapter 7, it's, uh, it's not. What was going on? Paul. A letter to them. Am I messing this up? Right? The Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish city. Them from scripture explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Verse 4, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of and not a few prominent women. So Jews converted, Greeks converted, women converted when Paul first went to Thessalonica and went into the synagogues to preach and to reason from Scripture, right, from the Old Testament Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, that he died and he rose from the dead. He is the Savior that would usher in the kingdom of God. It wasn't easy. It wasn't an easy break. What's going on? And then he goes there, and then he does nice yes ministries and comes. That's not going on. Paul is committed to the missionary journey. He goes on three, maybe four missionary journeys. He gets imprisoned in Rome, and according to church history, he gives up literally. He gets committed. He's not back in. He's gonna. It doesn't matter, theologically wrong as it is, right? It doesn't matter if you believe it. I'm not gonna penalize you on the exam just because you tell me you don't believe it. I want. And if it's, if his claim is true. There's a lot of consequences. If he's right. So let's see if he's right. Verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, so they robbed some bad characters in the market. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason other brothers before the city officials shouting these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house so not only is Paul being persecuted who is Paul that Christ is the Messiah Let them go. 
couple months later, six months later, Paul doesn't know what's going on in the church of Thessalonica. He doesn't know if they buckled under persecution. He doesn't know if they fell away because of severe hardship. So you know what he does? He sends Timothy and says, go check out Thessalonica and tell me how they're doing. And Paul, uh, Timothy comes back and gives Paul a very encouraging report. This young church, which is only about six months, seven months, eight months old, is exhibiting great spiritual maturity in the Lord. And there are three marks that the Thessalonians exhibited. This very young church exhibited three marks that encouraged Paul so much because when he went to Thessalonica, he reasoned in three Sabbath days from the synagogues proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. He was persecuted. They had to run away. There were people that were persecuted. And he finds out that the church is alive. And this is very joyful news. Three marks of a healthy church. Verse 3. First mark, their faith produced works, work produced by love. Verse 3, second mark, number 2, they labored in the face of severe persecution. Number 1, their faith worked, worked, produced by faith. Number 2, their labor prompted by love. And number 3, they endured inspired by hope. Three marks of a healthy church. I'm going to first concentrate on this prompted by love. Labor. I'm just going to say this. Labor. The Greek word kopos what does it mean? Difficulties. And yet Paul says it was prompted by love. What do you get when you put labor and love together? You get... <laughs> you get... You get Amy. So here, many of you guys ask me, am I married? No. Nobody. 40? Yes. Pastor Susan seminar yesterday, cut me deep in the heart, right? That you're 40, you're not married, you know, you're a toxic, you know, accelerated here. There's, I'm like, oh, this is good. <laughs> it cuts so deep, but it's good, right? It's true. However, I am dating somebody, and her name's Amy. I hope this message is not recorded, because... You know, Amy wants to be here very badly, but I told her not to come. She's here in Sacramento, right? Um, I was invited to this retreat by Pastor Joe, right? Pastor Joe, and uh, yeah, when he asked me to come, I, told, I called Amy. I said, Amy, you know, one of my former young adults invited me to, uh, to San Jose. I said, how far is that from Sacramento? She's like, oh, it's right here, come! <laughs> they told me I'm in Napa Valley. I said, really? Yeah, that communion is going to be awesome. <laughs> if you guys, <laughs> if you guys, I hope they let me do communion. It's going to be some great, fresh communion. Talk about the visible proclamation of the gospel, right? <laughs> um, spiritual presence and everything, right? It's good stuff, right? 
Uh, I said, Amy, you know, so should I go? And she's like, yeah, come. And you know what? Stay for like a month, right? I was like, I can't ask the church to do that. That's like, I've never invited a speaker to my church, right? And, and people ask me, hey, can you give me a, def- a, a return flight like a month later? I said, I can't do that. And that's just irregular. I'm just going to go back right away. I said, oh, it's going to be so sad, right? We're so close, but so far away. <laughs> It's ironic, right? Remember, this is about laboring in love, right? Labor, the Greek word kapos, means hardship, toil, struggle, difficulty. But what happens when Paul combines labor, kapos, these two separate concepts, and you add them together, and you get a very rich New Testament theology about the nature of faith. Get that? So Amy, so close, <laughs> so far away. We're like right there. It's like a, it's like, like Korean movie. Like they're just about to touch it. You just can't touch it. It's like right there. <laughs> like oh Lord, oh, and then just like it pulls me away all the way back to Georgia, right? And then John calls, uh, emails me on Facebook, and he says, Oh yeah, you know, make up, make up your own flight. I was like, really? Look down like, what's the cheapest flight? U.S. Airways, what a mistake. <laughs> Serious mistake, right? Uh, so I, I can't, I'm having too much fun with this story. So I can't, I, please do not record this. <laughs> so Amy's like, do you think the church would let us come? Do you think the church would let me come? I said, no. Right? I said, I've never heard you preach. I was like, so? And she goes, <laughs> she goes, I want to know what you sound like. I goes, oh, it's not good. <laughs> right? And then she goes, well, I've heard you lecture, because I have lecture. Yeah. And I said, what do you think? Because you're too loud. <laughs> and like, calm down. Right? Uh, you have to understand, you know, my uh, classroom ministry, is, it's not a seminary. Now, it's technically a Christian college, but I have Muslims, I have Jehovah's Witnesses, I have atheists who come to our school, right? So I have to do a lot of de- apologetics, defend the Christian faith. I can't shove it down their throats. But I have to be able to convince them from historical evidence that Jesus is the Christ. Reason from scripture, as Paul did in Thessalonica. Argue. And I hope and pray that God will prompt their hearts by his spirit and bring them to Christ. That's my ministry. I wish I was in a seminary. I don't have to do this. I, I can get loud amens all day. <laughs> anyway, back to Amy. So close. <laughs> so far away. I promise I won't go long with this. She goes, can I come? Right? I said, no. She called me. I said, don't contact you know, I, I never have guest speakers at my retreat going, honey, honey. <laughs> you know, it just, just, just I'll, be, I'll, I'll be done Sunday, and you guys don't have to give me a ride back. Amy's going to come pick me up, right? And, you know, I'll be spending a month. So I said, I said, yeah, but, you know, what's going to happen with housing? I, I'm poor, you know. Don't let them make nice JCPenney uh, anything, right? I said, Amy, you know, I have no money. I can't stay for a month. We can't stay. Backdrop, 
Amy's mother just retired from, uh, from Boston, and she's, she's been spending all this time looking for an apartment for her mother because she's retiring to Sacramento, right? I said, Amy, you're so busy. You're busy with work. You work all these, all these hours. You're helping your parents retire. You can't go around looking for housing for me, right? When Sunday's done, I'll just fly back. Now, so what? We're so close, but we're so far away, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hang out some other time. No, 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 I'm looking for housing. I said, Amy, you already long Because right? I told her so many doctoral students are failing their defenses and getting kicked out of the PhD program, and she was worried about me, so she brought me this gift. Dr. John Song on a binder. She goes, it will happen. Come on. She's my biggest cheerleader. Come on. She came to my graduation. She was in the back, video recording. Yeah, do it. And then now I'm here, and I said, Amy, I don't know what's going to happen with us because the distance is kind of tough. But I can't stay for a month, and I can't ask you to look for housing. She goes, it's really hard. And she says, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it takes time. But I really want to see you. Don't record this. <laughs> she goes, I really want to see you. You're you willing to labor for me just because you want to see me? Aren't you stressed and tired? She goes, yeah. But when you labor for somebody you love, as difficult as it is, that labor takes on a very different feeling. When you labor for somebody you love, as hard as it is, it takes on a very different dimension. Parents, when you labor for your children, do you get tired? Yes. Do you get sleep deprived? Yes. Do you get agitated? Yes. Does your arm hurt? Yes. But when you see your child light up, do you delight in that? For those of you who are with your parents and they're 70, I want to give this to them because they don't have much time here on earth. So while they're here, I want to do good to them. When not rejoice very differently from when you just do good to a friend. Amen? So when Paul says the three marks of a healthy church, number one, their faith produced works. Number two, they labored in love. And number three, they endured by hope, right? Laboring in love. It's not just simply laboring. It's not just simply loving, but you put those two concepts together and you get a very rich New Testament theology about what good and true faith looks like. You labor in love. You labor in your family. You labor in your workplace. You labor in your friendships. You labor in your communities. You labor in your church, right? And it's hard. It's kapos. It is difficult. It is toilsome. It is sacrificial. It pulls you in different directions, right? But when your love, when your faith is deeply rooted in the love of Christ, that difficult labor takes on a very different dimension. Amen? So we have to understand what Paul means, labor. Understand this labor, and it feels very, very burdensome. It feels very, very legalistic. 
It feels like very, very confusing. It feels like you're saying, I need to labor so that God would love me. No, it's God has already loved you. And because your faith is rooted in the love of Christ, that you labor, and this laboring, as difficult as it is, takes on a very different dimension. Your heart delights, as difficult as it is. And if you find your heart not delighting, then that's time to bring yourself before the cross once again. Amen? Three marks of a true Paul says after he planted the church in Thessalonica, reasoning from the scriptures that Jesus died and rose from the dead, proving that Jesus is the Messiah, many Jews and many God-fearing Greeks and women came to convert to Jesus Christ and planted this church in Thessalonica when the Jews were upset because Paul proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, they began to persecute this early church in Thessalonica. Paul and his companions ran, and he asked Timothy, go and find out what happened to this church in Thessalonica. And Timothy comes back and says, their faith is working. They are laboring, and they are in hope. And this brings great delight to a pastor. You want to make your pastors happy? Grow spiritually in the Lord. Make every effort and use and work by God's own enabling power. And you will delight your pastor's heart. Number two, endurance inspired by hope. Can we get that slide up? Endurance uh, inspired by hope. Now, like I said, you can't take labor, right, and you can't take love separately, right? Paul is putting them together and bringing out a very rich New Testament theology, right? Well, it's not just endurance, and it's not just hope, right? When you put endurance, and when you put hope, right, and not just any hope, but hoping in Jesus, right, because he has saved you from the coming wrath, as Paul says in verse 10, right? You put those two things together and you get a very rich New Testament theology about what it means to endure in this difficult world, hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise that he has saved you from the coming wrath. You guys follow me so far? Amen? Well, I did this PhD thing. So I did this PhD thing and uh, <laughs> suffer, you have to suffer. I'm not gonna even. I'm not gonna even say if I was blessed, you, you're blessed. No, no, no. If I had to suffer, you have to suffer because we are one body, right? <laughs> when one part of the body suffers, right? We all suffer together, right? I, if you have earwax in your ear and it's bothering you, it throws off the entire balance of your body, right? If you pop your eardrum or something, picking your ear. Sorry, right? disgusting, right? But, you know, one part of the body suffers, the entire body suffers. So we're going to suffer together. Amen? Amen. All right. What does it mean to endure? Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. He was born AD 65. Carp says, Polycarp says in his letter to the Philippians, he says, now may God 
and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Polycarp is not an apostle, right? He's a disciple of an apostle. He's a disciple of a first century apostle. He is a disciple of the author of the Gospel of John, first, second, third John, the book of Revelation, right? Polycarp is a direct disciple of the apostle John. And this is what he's writing. They made me do this. Okay? Don't blame me. Blame Trinity Evangelical. <laughs> Endurance. When the world says endure, it says simply grit your teeth and endure and just suffer till the end until you get what you want. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying endure in hope. Let me and I think this will bring to light what Paul is saying in the third part of verse 3. Endurance inspired by hope. What does hope do? I had a college student. It's not a it's not a good story. It's like Amy. <laughs> I had a college student years ago. She must be in her 30s now. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> I had a college student. She was, uh, she, yeah, she's got to be late 20s, early 30s now. One day, she came to church, and she gave this story, right? And we were talking about, like, how does, how does, how does your beliefs change you? How does what you believe affect you, Right? And then, you know, people go around, oh, yeah, you know, you know when you believe in the world and the lies and the change. She, and she came up with a great story. I'm just going to tell this story really quickly, right? Because it's really about the nature of faith, right? I love this. She goes, she's really quiet, really mousy, right? She's very, very shy. She goes, well, Pastor John, I, there was one time I thought I won the lottery. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she goes, I, I guess in Georgia, you know, they, they have this, uh, I was in Georgia for one year and a half, long story. I quit the PhD program one time, went down to Georgia, came back to a PhD program. It's a long story. Anyway, so I was down in Georgia. And she goes, and I guess in Georgia, they have those, when you buy a lottery ticket, you know, when you go check to see if you won the lottery or not, they'll, they'll print you out the numbers, right? See? Why do you guys act like you know this? <laughs> right? They print out the numbers, right? And it's, it's the winning lottery ticket number, right? So I guess her dad or something got those tickets. And she goes, Grace, yeah, come here. Check these numbers, right? Uh, she goes, okay. So she, she goes up, and she types in the numbers, and she goes, oh, we won the lottery. Oh, we won the lottery, right? So she went downstairs and screaming, we won the lottery, we won the lottery. And those small little marks. You got to understand. You got you to understand Grace, right? She's small and mousy and thing, but she was roaring lion. We won the lottery. We won the lottery, right? And then, and then she found out that it was actually the you know winning number of tickets to see if you won or not, right? And so I was like, I don't know why this is not funny to you. This was hilarious <laughs> to me, right? I was dying over this story, right? So we were like crying. Like, ah, that's so, you know, some of the more insensitive kids are like, you're so dumb, you're so dumb, right? Grace. She goes, no, no, no. And I said, I said, Grace, that's a great story. And she, I said, how did you feel? I felt joyful. Well, didn't you tell me that you were going through a hard time back then? She goes, yeah. Right? 
but I said, but you know, how did you feel? Because but all that just became small, right? Why did it become small? Because there was this. I won the lottery. Right? What do you mean? Do I have to explain it to you? And I said, how did you feel when you found out that you really didn't want to win the lottery? Because I felt dumb. <laughs> I felt disappointed, right? I felt I knew it was too good to be true. But look at the way she changed when she had this great hope that even though she didn't have half cash in her hand, she knew that she had won something and she will receive it as a sure promise as long as she held that ticket. Nothing changed in her life. That two, three seconds, her circumstances didn't change. She changed. What Paul is saying is enduring in hope. Paul is not minimizing the persecution. In fact, when he's in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, Paul talks about the severe. Look what he says in uh, verse 6. He says the severe suffering, right? Paul does not minimize the severity of the suffering. Right? Paul does not minimize the problems of this life. What Paul is saying is that by the strength of God, endure and overcome, right? Because this hope that you have is sure founded because Jesus has taken away the coming wrath. Enduring in hope. Number two. What is the role of the Spirit as you labor in love? Well, let's make it very simple. The Spirit of God in verse 4, if you look at verse 4 with me, tells, uh, Paul tells us that the Spirit of God made the preaching of the word persuasive and it was powerful, not because Paul was a good speaker, all right? In fact, there was a, there's, a, there's a part right, where Paul was preaching and Eutychus fell asleep and he fell out the window and died. Right? That's, people think that Paul was this amazing preacher. Right? He wasn't. He could have been pretty boring at times. But it was the Spirit of God that used a weak vessel like Paul to do something great. Verse 4 again, the Spirit of God gave these Thessalonians a very deep conviction. You want to be a healthy church? It's not going to happen if the church, not just the leaders, if the church does not stay on its knees. Very quick point. When Paul is saying verse 2, first night, I said the responsibility, right? The health of the church the responsibility of promoting and contributing to the health of the church is not simply the leaders. The leaders play a big part. I am not minimizing the responsibility of the leaders, but it is the responsibility of everybody in the church. Do you guys remember that point? Amen? Well, no, now look again. It repeats again. Paul says in verse 2 and verse 3, we continue, remember before God and Father, your work, the plural you, your work produced by faith, right? Your labor in love, right? Your endurance in hope. It takes your labor. It takes your work. It's going to take your endurance to 
to build a church here in San Jose, a church that glorifies the Lord. It's not going to be someone else's. It's going to take your work, your labor, your endurance. Amen? I think I might have persuaded you this time around. You guys were looking at me the first time like, yeah, okay, I kind of, kind of buy into it. <laughs> Good. It's very, very biblical. You don't believe me? Go read the book of Leviticus. <laughs> See how tally up the percentage that talks about the priests, and then tally up the percentage that talks about the nation as a whole. The Spirit of God makes the preaching of the word powerful. It's not just Paul, it's the Spirit of God. Verse 4, it gave these Thessalonians, this very young church, six months, seven months, eight months old, after initially receiving very severe persecution, it gave them a very deep conviction that Paul's proclamation that Jesus died and rose again from the dead was a true message, despite all the messages that were out there in the Greco-Roman world. Verse 6, the Spirit of God gave joy in the midst of severe suffering. And verse 7 and 8, the Spirit of God enabled them to be faithful. I want to tell you just one last story about Amy, and then we'll move on to point three. Okay? So Amy loves to ask me questions. She asks me theology questions. It bothers me when she asks me theology questions. Pastors wise, can we raise your hand? Who are, where are the pastors wise? Come on, Grace, Esther, okay. Do you guys ask, don't, you don't have to say it out loud, just think, just, just, just give me a nod or a wink, all right? Do you guys ask your, your husband's theology questions? <laughs> okay, so I'm not alone. She's not my wife, right? But, you know, it bothers me because I deal with theology all day long, right? I, sit in the carol, I sat in a carol for 12 years, two masters and a PhD, right? I sat in a carol for 12 years doing theology. I go to school, I go to church, and what do I do? Theology, right? Now what do I do? I have deadlines to meet, right? I have a few deadlines to meet this month. I have contracts to fulfill. I'm going to be doing, everybody? Theology. I go to school, and what do, I, what do I teach? Theology. So when I talk to Amy, Amy's supposed to be my break away from theology, right? And then she tells, she asks me these theology questions, and I ask her, why are you asking these theology questions, right? Go, what you go ask your pastor. What, that's what you're there for, right? And then she asked me, she asked me, what? <laughs> Rightfully so, right? <laughs> she asked me this question, and I didn't answer it the first time around. She says, John, remember, like, you know how, like, you know, you know how, like, Christians are always supposed to be joyful? Right? Right? Yes? Right? You know how Christians are always supposed to be joyful? I'm like, yeah, right? She goes, are you joyful? No. <laughs> well, why aren't you joyful? Are you joyful? <laughs> she goes, well, that's what I'm struggling with. You know, I know I'm supposed to be joyful. I know I'm supposed to have hope in God. I know God loves me, but it's hard. It's really hard. I, I deal with stuff at work, you know. I have to help my parents retire. You're really hard, too. You know? So I am not. <laughs> Yes, you are. You try dealing with you. I deal with me every day. I like me. 
because it's hard, and I'm not sure I'm all that joyful. What does that mean? And you know what I said? I said, go ask your pastor. <laughs> he, has sh he has shepherding authority over you, right? And I said, and then a few months later, uh, a few weeks later, she goes, hey, remember that question I asked you? Ah, oh, I'll answer it, right? Can we get the next slide up? <laughs> Do you know what I did? I pulled out John Calvin. <laughs> I pulled out John Calvin. I said, you want to know, right? She goes, she goes, well, I'm not joyful. I don't feel joyful. What does that mean? And I say, you know what that means? That means you're a human being. You know what that means? That means you're normal. You know what that means? I, I think anybody who walks around smiling and being happy is only showing a part of you. I know that everybody has deep struggles, whether they show it or not. That's why we are very suspicious of joy. Is that Starbucks person really that happy? <laughs> Hello, sir. What can I get you for you today? I'm like, are you really that happy? <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> You're not real. Show me the real you. <laughs> it's real, you know, because even after we convert to Christianity, we still deal with the indwelling corruption of sin. And that's the whole point of sanctification, right? To grow in the Lord. And so, yes, we still have discouragements and letdowns and stress. That's part of living on this side of glory, right? So then where does spiritual joy come in? What role does spiritual joy? Because Paul's saying in Thessalonica, this six-month, seven-month, eight-month year-old church, right, that what? That they were showing good spiritual maturity, and the Spirit of God was working in their church. Well, I am a firm believer that the Spirit of God is working here in this church. We just need to have the right theology. Get it? Amen? To be equipped with the Word of God takes you a long way in your Christian walk. Okay? So, uh, this is from me. <laughs> this is part of my dissertation. If I have to suffer, then we have to suffer. And let's all say it together, because we are, follow up to me. We are the one body. One part suffers. We all suffer. Good. Let's see, let's see what uh, this, this novice says about spiritual joy living on this side of the Garden of Eden. Fifthly, contrary to the Stoics, the wise person does not repress emotions, but experiences the affection of spiritual joy in the midst of vexing emotions. You get that? John Calvin notes in Institutes 3810. <laughs> Do you guys believe me when I say I took out Calvin? All right, Amy. Let me, let, let me tell you what the answer is. I looked it up. Do you, guys, do you guys believe me? This is a great strategy, pastors, to work on your wives. Right? It works well. Amen? Uh, okay, fine. It doesn't work. But here, Calvin's notes in Institutes 3.8.10. For Scripture praises the saints, the believers, right? Scripture praises the believers for the forbearance when so afflicted with harsh misfortune. 
Ever get afflicted with harsh misfortune? When afflicted with harsh misfortune, they do not break or fall. Yes, we do. We break and fall. But not permanently. So afflicted with harsh misfortune, they do not break or fall. So stabbed. Look at, look at Calvin's... Uh, uh, so stabbed with bitterness. Yes, we can grow bitter. Yes, we do. If you don't, if you've never grown bitter, and you're always smiling at me, hi, Pastor John, I just you know, I won the lottery. Oh, that's so nice. What's the other part of you? So stabbed with bitterness, they are at the same time flooded with spiritual joy, so pressed by apprehension. It's mixed feelings. When you're afflicted, you feel bitterness, you feel harshness, you feel discouragement. But if you draw near to the Lord, God can give you a sense of peace in the midst of severe suffering. That's what makes a Christian. They can experience God in the midst of challenges. They recover their breath. They recover. Now, look, they recover. Why do you recover? Because you've lost something, right? You've lost your breath. <gasps> it's so hard. <sighs> God, I just need you. They recover their breath, revived, right, by God's consolation. It is not the extirpation of emotions, but the experience of God in the midst of trials that comprise true wisdom. Now, if you want to read the other 420 pages of this, please let me know. I will glad to send you my dissertation. <laughs> you guys want to email me? Amen? I thought not. <laughs> Let's finish up um, the last point. So who is this Jesus in light of Greco-Roman history? Paul says in verse 10, and let's all read it, uh, let's read it together. I'll read it, and you just follow along with me. Paul says in verse 10, for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Can we get that last slide going? Okay, one more time, verse 10. And to wait for his son, Jesus, uh, wait from the son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This Jesus to Paul was the one who saved us from our sins. That was not how everybody viewed Jesus in Paul's day. Last slide. Cornelius Tacitus, A.D. 56, just around the time of Paul. What does he say? The Christians made such a big noise in the first century because they were convicted by the Spirit of God that Jesus was the Messiah, that it caught the attention of the Roman Empire. And these Roman historians noted in their historical logs this early Christian movement founded by this man named Christus. But to Paul, Jesus, as he reads it from Scripture for three Sabbaths, arguing from Scripture that Jesus died and rose from the dead, this Roman historian, this 
Christus, styled Christians, the founder of the name Christus, who was sentenced under when Tiberius was the Caesar of Rome, sentenced by the procurator Pontius Pilate, and then, which is not underlined, the procurator Pontius Pilate, and this, and he called it a very pernicious superstition. As we conclude today's message, you can argue that you don't believe in the message. You can argue that you do. There's two things you cannot argue, which sets up the platform for today's seminar. There are two things you cannot argue. You can say, I believe it. You say, I don't believe it. But there's two things you cannot deny. Okay, you guys get that? I'm just going to say it one more time to kind of inculcate it into you, right? You can say, I believe it. You can say, I don't believe it. But there are two things that you cannot deny. Number one, Jesus was a real person. Right? Because not only do we have the New Testament, but we have Roman historians recording the life of Jesus. You get it? You can't deny that Jesus was a real person in the first century. He was real. He walked this earth. Do you get that? You can say, I don't believe him. I do believe in him. I don't believe in him, but you cannot deny that he was real. He was a real person. According to Tacitus. And the second thing you can't deny is these early disciples believed because they saw and experienced the resurrected Christ. These two things you cannot deny. Whether you believe it or not, people can say, I believe it. People can say, I don't believe it. There are two things. Historians, never mind if you're a believer or not, historians, whether believing historians or unbelieving historians, just historians cannot deny that he was a real person, and they cannot deny that these early disciples believed in their message that they experienced the resurrected Christ. For Paul, who is Jesus? He is the Messiah. You want to build a healthy church? It must be founded upon that message. He is. He has died, and he has rose again. Amen? Let's pray.